The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. And welcome uh, to everyone around the world and the United States. This is Good Morning New York, and I am your host, Vince Rocco. We are coming to you live from New York City, and today, actually, we are celebrating 100 shows on the air. Isn't that something? Ooh, Impressive. 100 We've shows. We've made it now. <laughs> <laughs> We're skilled by now, right? I oh my know. God, it's pretty shows. crazy wow. to even think about it. You know, it, there's there are so many hundreds. This I heard uh, there's 100 days. This morning I was watching the Today Show, and they said there's 100 days uh, to the Rio uh, Olympics okay. in South America coming up. And Good Morning America is celebrating 100 shows over almost two years. I guess our anniversary is at the end of June. So thank you all for listening. Thank you all for participating. It's been quite a journey, uh, but it still throws me to think that we've done this many shows and have that many shows in the can. Anyway, moving on. Competition for Manhattan apartments priced under $3 million will be fierce this spring and summer, according to real estate experts. With the tumultuous presidential election season and setbacks in the global economy, interest in the ultra-luxury market is slowing down. The political environment is causing people to question what is going on with the economy. The international market's definitely been suffering, and we still hear about layoffs. Because of this uncertainty, there is increasing demand for apartments priced in what experts call the affordable market. And that is anything under $3 million. Now, I was having a conversation with a seller about this just the other day, a uh, potential seller. Uh, it's true. <laughs> a former seven-unit townhouse at 146 Willow Street will soon be listed as an $18 million single-family mega mansion in Brooklyn Heights. It's the second mega mansion planned for the neighborhood. That uh, was a building uh, that was once split into seven rental units and is now being brought back to a single family. A, b- a very big trend here in New York City. The newest resident at the world's tallest residential building, 432 Park Avenue, is none other than the chairman of Douglas Elliman himself, Howard Lorber. This according to The Real Deal. His company is in charge of the sales and marketing of that super tall building. The 96-story building features a total of 125 apartments and eight are currently listed on the market for sale, and six are currently listed as rentals, this according to StreetEasy. Amid the slowdown in sales in the luxury market, developers split up some of the pricey full-floor units at the building last year and have put them on as multiple units. Douglas Element, continuing the news, may be making moves all over the country, but it continues to show love to its hometown of New York. The brokerage just inked a deal to remain at its current headquarters at 575 Madison Avenue for another 15 years and will expand into 100,000 square feet, up from 60,000 feet, according to Howard Lorber, who told that to The Real Deal 
uh, this week. StreetEasy has released its annual report on the state of rent affordability in New York City, and the numbers aren't promising. The data shows that as rent increases in New York continue to outpace income growth, many residents should expect to devote more of their income to rent in the coming year. Last year, renters forked over 59.7% of their income to pay rent. This year, they are expected to pay 65.2%, which is nearly two-thirds of their income going towards rent. That's getting a little scary. It's only been a little more than a month since Gwyneth Paltrow and her husband, ex-husband, Coldplay frontman Chris Martin, first listed their Tribeca condo, but apparently it's not moving quickly enough for the un, uh, for the conspicuously uncoupled couple. Real Estate Weekly reports that the three-bedroom apartment has gotten a price chop going from $14.25 million to $12.85 million after a month. So it's like, get real people, really? Also, there, and who knows if that's the right price. Also, there still <laughs> aren't any photos of the three-bedroom apartment, which got a total revamp from designers Roman and Williams after Paltrow and Martin bought the place. So you'll just have to imagine the apartment yourself with the floor plan. So there aren't any photos. The price is probably still too high and they're anxious to sell after a month on the marketplace. Doesn't that sound like all of our sellers? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly sound like mine. You probably don't need statistics to tell you that the New York City subway is being used by more people than ever. The crush of humanity during rush hour is probably proof enough of that fact. But the MTA's ridership uh, stats for 2015 were just released, offering proof positive that the subway is more popular and, yes, more crowded than ever before. After a few quarters of feverish growth, the Hamptons market has stabilized. During the first three months of this year, home prices in the Hamptons remain steady, compared to the year earlier period while the number of transactions fell dramatically. It's a return to a more sustainable trajectory, said Jonathan Miller, head of the appraisal firm Miller Samuel. He said pent-up demand has largely been satisfied, and now the market has been stripped down to more long-term norms. And finally this morning in the news, days after Prince's death, memorials for the music legend are still going strong. Mourners from the singer's inner circle and fans from far and wide, are remembering him four days after the 57-year-old musician was found dead inside an elevator at his Paisley Park studios. His death Thursday came about a week after his private plane made an emergency landing in Illinois because he was non-responsive in flight. Not quite sure what that means yet. A family member announced on Saturday that his remains had been cremated. A small group of Prince's most beloved said goodbye in a private beautiful ceremony. An announcement will be made shortly about a musical celebration for the life and times of Prince. Well, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I felt really bad about that story. Yeah. Uh, and it came as quite a shock. I mean, I was a pretty nice, decent fan. But, you know, when these things happen at such a young age, at 57 years old, you just wonder what goes on, right? Anything can happen any day of the week. It's really amazing. Were they invest- did they investigate the, the cause? I know he had the flu at the time. but Well, he, he, he had an autopsy, and that usually takes about two to three weeks to get uh, results back. There's all kinds of rumors. Yeah, yeah he had yeah. the flu. Uh, he had a hip problem, so he might have been on, on serious medication mm. for pain, although he, they claim he wasn't a drug uh, user. He was a vegan. So, mm. uh, you know, they typically don't do that kind of stuff. But, you know, you don't know. Who okay. knows? And we'll see but what because happens. Because he did have that pain, people are speculating that he could have gotten addicted to mm-hmm. uh, prescription medication, Correct. not meaning to. Correct. It's more, he was such an intense performer. And when you really need to perform, when you really need to do your thing, as we all have our own things, um, you know, you pop a couple more to be able to perform <clears throat> the way you want to. And I don't think it was a conscious thing, especially because he was so health conscious, but 
we all know how the world works, which is sad. It's very sad. Exactly. And it, yeah. it's just so uh, ironic that in the last several months, we've lost some of the greats of our time, yeah. you know, uh, and it just makes you think, you know, life is really short and life doesn't go on forever. And, you know, all of these people that I grew up with and who, who you know, I'm still trying to get over the, the David Bowie thing. But, you know, you think about all these people who have been greats for all of their career and, you know, they're just like us. You know, when it's time to go, it's time to go. Anyway, uh, moving on, I'm here with Deborah Hoppin from Town Residential, Niall Lundgren from Compass, and Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. How was your weekend? My famous question every Tuesday. It was beautiful. Beautiful. And it was Passover. It was Passover. <laughs> it was beautiful. It was Passover. Yeah. And um, it was busy from a real estate perspective, which I wasn't quite counting on. I thought it was going to be sort of slowish, but no, it really wasn't. I knew it would be. I actually have a colleague who now works at Brown Harris Stevens, and she's a very close friend of mine. And she used to make me nuts because every major holiday, like Easter, Passover, Christmas, she would have open houses, and she always got serious buyers. Mm. And she said, "I work with the atheists." Wow! <laughs> but she, whoever is out there, there are serious buyers at every holiday. The only caveat I worry about is depending where you are I wouldn't want to upset a building I find out the yeah. content of who's there and whatever and a great strategy by the yeah. buyers or their brokers yeah. to have them go on a holiday where not a ton of people will be at the open mm-hmm. house it's a great strategy yeah, yeah. I, I've had both you know on, on Christmas I've, I've actually sold on Christmas Christmas Eve I've sold on you know Passover holidays whatever mm-hmm. Hanukkah. So, you know, and, and every time a, a holiday comes up and it's on a weekend you think to yourself should I have an open house this week should I just kind of not you know whatever should I take a buyer out that wants to go out? And I think you're right, Deborah. I think, you know, the, the serious uh, buyers out there, you know, will go out and look anytime. So uh, depending on what your day plan is, you, you can go out in the morning and check out a few things and s- still be somewhere for dinner in the afternoon. And it's the tire kickers, you know, throughout the year yeah. that come through uh, open houses yeah. just because it's a hobby or just because, you know, maybe they've started their search and they don't really know what's out there. So they want to get an education. You know, those are the the, the times where you have to question. But on holidays, I've been very successful. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget early in my career sitting in my uh, office at Halstead at the time uh, working on a board package Christmas Eve and trying to get out of there on time so I can get up to the family, which is an hour away from here. Uh, but that board package had to get done, and it was just one of those things. And you know, That's what we do, and that's, that's why you listen to us, mm-hmm. because <laughs> we all do that kind of thing in this room. It, we, that is we, true. We do. Yeah. Uh, listen, you know, I, I reported Street Easy released their annual report on the state of the rental affordability, you know, you know, uh, how much we pay based on how much we earn. You know, this is a national problem. It's not just a it's not just a, a local problem, but we're we're starting to outpace our income growth. So my question, you know, where where you're involved in some rentals, and I've got a couple of rental exclusives on the market. How serious of a problem is this becoming? Because, you know, you, we're getting to the point where, first of all, New York City is always very expensive from a rental perspective. Forget the sales side, but from a rental perspective and the requirements to get in and the criteria, all of the above, you know, uh, is it makes it difficult to rent an apartment in New York. But when we start outpacing income and we start thinking about, wow, you know, how are we going to work around this? I mean, I, I get concerned when we go from 59.7% to 65.2%, nearly two-thirds of someone's income is going to be spent on housing. What's left for anything else? I think it's a dangerous topic. I think that mm-hmm. landlords need to be aware of this. I think rental developers need to be aware of this. And if they're not willing to negotiate a little bit on their numbers, they might be in for a rude awakening. I was I could not believe when they announced the 
um, that huge building, the sky, the sky, all the way west mm-hmm. on Forty Second. Yeah, it's over a thousand apartments in that complex. Who's living there? I mean, right across the street, you have Silver Towers, which is a huge <laughs> complex. I just don't understand where these people are coming from. Luis Ortiz is living over there. That's one thing. Yeah, yeah. True. Good point. Yeah. But you know something? You mentioned that, and I had scooted over there uh, just to check out the place, I think, when it first opened. And, you know, like everything else, the, the units are very small. Yeah. The building is very crowded because there are over 1,000 units, as you said, Matt. But you know what? Uh, and the prices are absolutely insane. They're insane. So, you know, look, we say it all the time. There are people who can afford to live in this town as renters and and certainly as buyers buying apartments. But, you know, for, you know, reading stories like this where such a huge percentage of people are starting to, you know, pay more money in rent than ha- than anything else. I, I, I just don't understand how it can continue. Now, with that said, you know, all the press that I'm reading uh, and certainly with a couple of rental situations that I've been involved in recently, the rental market seems to have slowed just a bit. It's not as active or robust as it used to be. So maybe that's going to bring some of the prices down. I'm not quite sure, but I believe something needs to happen. Well, you know what? People aren't stupid. It's like um, friends of mine live in an incredibly wealthy neighborhood in Westchester County. And they, they can't understand why you can't keep certain restaurants there. Well, the restaurants that come in, they charge a fortune. And people with money do not keep their money or become wealthy by overspending. They're fiscally responsible. So that being said, what's so interesting is, yeah, we've got these big, exciting new rental places all the way on the west side and throughout the city. But I know a few landlords who have, I guess, what we would call middle-of-the-line rentals. They're renovated units. The prices are fantastic. And what it is is they're located right next to the subway. Mm -hmm. They have great locations, but they're old buildings without dorm, and they have elevators. But they command a much lower price like 3500 for a two-bedroom, mm-hmm. which is very good. And they said, we are looking at the mid-level market, and we never have empty apartments. Exactly. All right, let's hold the thought on that. Is. We have to take a break. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at bluerealtygroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back to Good Morning New York. I'm I'm here with Deborah Hoffman from Town Residential, Niall Lundgren from Compass, and Matthew Cohen from CORE. 
Um, so traditionally, sky-high ceilings have been reserved for penthouse apartments, lofts, and some lucky pre-war owners. But according to an article in the New York Times last week, and developers of brand-new condo projects have begun offering 11-foot and higher ceilings in many of their apartments. It's a trend that's become de rigueur in uh, exceedingly pricey new developments, says appraiser Jonathan Miller. He says, quote, it's one of the amenities that have to have that you have to have in the current market or you're at a significant disadvantage. Why is that? I mean, we all like tall ceilings, but I, we're at a disadvantage if we don't have them. I'm not quite sure I understand that. That's that's a little funny how he worded it. I don't know if it's a, exactly a disadvantage. It may be because volume, I think, is is the most important thing. When you are in a, I mean, I, I've I've sold apartments that are you know 500 square feet but have 12 foot ceilings, and you it feels much bigger. I mean, that's just yeah. the fact of the matter. Plus, you know, if you're looking at um, additional space, you could put storage. Um, you can you know put shelves. You can even put a bed up there. You can have a a secondary spot to throw luggage or whatever it is. So the higher the ceilings, the more volume, the bigger it feels, the more opportunities that you have to get creative with the space. Um, and at at the end of the day, you know we've all been in apartments that have smaller ceilings or, or lower ceilings. Um, they they feel tight. They feel it could be a great layout. Everything could be awesome. It just feels a little tight. Agree with Niall. I, I also think it's a psychological thing. I always talk about real estate whether it's here or anywhere else, as a psychological process. Yeah. Um, I talk about it when we price apartments, the whole nine nine nines that you don't go you know, mm-hmm. to a certain point. It's all psychological. And this is definitely one of those things. I think that, it, as I said, when you go into an apartment where there are higher ceilings, it gives the sense that it's a much bigger apartment. It's you know it has much greater exposure, and especially in the new developments these days on the lower floors where you don't have views and light, it makes them a lot more just approachable and um, exciting. And I think the developers are smart if they add in those little details. Yes, one of the big problems we found was, and I think you'll all remember this, is when Manhattan House on the East Side launched. They had these huge expansive spaces, gorgeous finishes. Everybody was impressed, but they still had eight-foot ceilings. Mm. And I really believe in my heart, in my gut, that is what hold, held it back. It wasn't the company that was selling it. It was a wonderful company, but there's only so much you could do with that. Uh, didn't you Dolly know? Lenz have that for a little bit of time, too? She did. I think well, Element started out Element with it. Started, yeah. And yeah. This, is, this is really not to knock Element. They did everything they no. could with that. They couldn't change the <clears throat> eight-foot ceilings. Yeah. And then it went to two other big companies. I, re- I remember that, and I was going to say. That's what it was. I grew up in the in the, the 60s and 70s in a mid-century modern house in, you know, in the suburbs. And you know those ceilings were eight feet. And you, know, I, you didn't know any better because eight feet was eight feet. Yeah. So you come into the city, and you see some you know, apartments, whether they're, they're lofts or pre-wars or whatever, and they're much higher, you, it, it's like something that you automatically just fall in love with. And, and once you have it, you need to have it going forward. I live in a pre-war currently, and my, my ceiling height's anywhere between 9.2 and 9.5, I think. So that's pretty high for, you know, uh, the average. But I, I get the, the, the desire for higher ceilings, and I agree with everybody. It makes the, the apartments look bigger. Well, it's uh, also what Niall spacious. just said. It really feels it. Yeah, it's when you have a small it one, does, it definitely. really absolutely. Whether it's illusion or not, it, there's a sense that it's a mm-hmm. bigger space. One hundred percent. But but back to what Deborah was saying about uh, the uh, the apartment complex on the east side. Mm-hmm. 
it was tragic because it took them a long, long time to sell. In fact, I'm sure they're still selling because those ceilings are very low. And when you walk in, they're just like right. And I'm six one, and so for me, it's like they're right on my head. And you think, wow, that's. It's and if you're going to be on the east side with eight foot ceilings, why wouldn't you go to Queens <laughs> or <laughs> Brooklyn in these well, in these well, old and it's loft a, conversions? And it's a beautiful complex it Manhattan is. house, and it it's is. such a tragedy that yeah, that little beautiful. detail kills. But you know what we learned and from this? And they made beautiful finishes over there too. It's beautiful. Absolutely, but. Yeah. A cousin of mine is a developer, and he bought a building on the west side, and he had my company, Town Residential, come in, and plus a lot of other companies, to consult on converting it from a rental building yeah. to a condominium. And the price per square foot he wanted was not crazy. He was being really rational. Mm. But this building had mostly, even though it was a pre-war, mostly eight-foot ceilings, and some places, and I'm 5'8", and I know when I stand and I extend, when flat feet, and extend my arm all the way to the ceiling, and if my fingers, my middle finger touches the ceiling, it's less than eight feet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that, so we actually told him, and he's well, since sold the building yeah. because mm-hmm. he could not convert. And he said, all we Good had call. to do was say, remember Manhattan House. Yeah. And the sad part is that with some of those yeah. post-war uh, buildings here in New York City, mm-hmm. you can't raise those ceilings. I mean, no. you get what you get. It is what it is, and and it is nothing else you can do. Yep. I move it on. On the emotional side of New York City apartment hunting, size and location are always in uh, in order. Does a park view trump a guest bedroom? Is a large cook's kitchen worth settling blocks away from a trendy thoroughfare? Usually a compromise is struck. Sometimes it's not. For a small but resolute faction of New Yorkers living in a particular neighborhood or even on a certain street, it's an unwavering desire. These buyers happily renounce many middle-class comforts for the privilege, even though it means squeezing into a smaller space because some people are hung up on locations, some people are hung up on building, some people say, I have to live on West 10th Street, you know, whatever. So they're sacrificing all of the other amenities or all of the other you know luxuries that can come with a more spacious apartment. Let's talk about this a little bit because I think for people who are not New Yorkers uh, or who have had the experience of shopping for apartments or renting apartments in New York City, what, is, what does this really mean? And, and how important is it for buyers to decide what they want to do by way of where they want to live? I'll give a very recent example of an apartment I'm selling on the Upper West Side that is a two-bed, one-bath. And, you know, of course, when you have that extra bath, it makes a huge difference in price. But what gives this apartment such a great feeling is that it has direct Hudson River views. Mm. And it's a corner apartment. And we had an unbelievable turnout to our open house. Um, We now actually have an accepted offer. And, you know, people don't even mention the second bath and, you know, can get over it because of the Hudson River views. And I think that you're right. I think that people in this city are willing to give up things because they know that there is not the perfect apartment out there for them and they have to decide what is their biggest pros and their biggest cons. Exactly. I was going to just chime in. It's not what you want. It's what you can afford. And I don't even care if you have an unlimited budget. There's going to be sacrifices that you're going to have to make to live in this city. Just that's just the fact of the mm-hmm. matter, and you're going to have to deal with that. And then when it comes to whether it's you know views or eating kitchens or whatever it is, it really depends on the preferences of the particular buyer. It's such a spire specific where you know some people are going to be like, you know what, I'll go all the way to East End, but it has the river view. Or on the West Side, it's got mm-hmm. the river view. I drive to work <clears throat> or I Uber. I don't really care about being near subways. You know, when I first started like eight, nine years ago, subways, everyone had to be a block from the subway. 
it's a lot different now. You know, Uber, taxis, cars. And that's you know. a very it's a very good point because the city I think has changed dramatically across the board yeah. and, and transportation mm-hmm. isn't as critical uh, it to is where you li- but it's not it is like, but it's yes. not it's not as much. correct i was filling in for one of my agents on sunday he was double booked whatever so i went out with his buyer for me he started with the buyer then i picked up a few showings in between and then he came back but interesting just to prove this point this particular buyer it was looking for a very large spacious one bedroom he's got three kids they come and visit him on the weekends he's i guess he's divorced whatever and he needs a place you know for all of them to kind of hang out when when they're spending a night or two on the weekends so that was the requirement. So we saw a couple of places. They just weren't, they just didn't fit right. So one of the last places I showed him, we walked in. It was a much smaller, very contained one bedroom, not a junior four, one bedroom. But when you walked in, and it was on the east side, east, east 72nd Street, you walked in and it was complete unobstructed northern views, which blew me out of my shoes. Mm. It was on the 20-something floor. So it was absolutely stun- stunning. Nice. I can see the facial expression where he's like, okay, I think this is it. This is it. Done. You just know. Yeah. yeah. Now, oh, I, yeah. you know, but I thought, and he, t- checking with my agent yesterday, he is putting an offer on that apartment as there of yesterday. Go. But here's the thing, you know, so he's sacrificing <laughs> the need for more space to, to accommodate his visiting children on the weekend because when he walked in, the space didn't matter anymore. It was all about what was going on outside the window. I also like one, I really love one thing that Niall said. You should just write the script for my life. Um, (laughs) One of the biggest things I say to almost all of my buyers is, I don't care if you can only spend under a million. I have clients who have a budget over 10 million and they don't get everything they want. Yeah. So if you think that there's a perfect apartment Mm -hmm. out there, we should just bring you to reality right now that I'm going to try my hardest to get you that. Detroit, I think, has a couple good ones. (laughs) (laughs) But no, it's definitely about being realistic in this Totally. Well, I always say too, it's price, size, and location. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get all three. So what are you going to sacrifice? If you need to live in this particular location, then you're going to have to sacrifice on the price. West Village, you're going to pay a lot. Or the size, you know. So if you have a specific budget in the West Village and you want that location, then you're going to live in a box. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just that's kind of how it is. So those are the three main factors that I always like to talk yeah, about. Yeah, and I think that's how I used to approach it when I was buying apartments before I was a real estate agent. You know, I bought and sold six or seven apartments, whatever, through the years, and and it was always I had my requirements at the moment, and sometimes a lo- location. Most of the time, it was budget. I have X amount of dollars to spend, and you know, I've got to find something that's going to work for me in that budget. And a lot of times, as Niall just said, you know, you kind of sacrifice the space there, but that just is what it is. Anyway, moving on, a co-op is considering making the building non-smoking both in the common areas and inside the shareholders' apartments. Good luck with that. The rule would apply to all residents, even those who have lived there for years. There is concern that this might negatively affect the resale value. There is also concern about how this rule would be enforced. Is a rule that prevents smoking in your own home legal, and is it enforceable? I've, think, I've actually, and Deborah, you probably yeah. remember this too, lived through this at one or two of the buildings over at Lincoln Towers. 180. 180, uh, where it was a colossal disaster. And after a year or two, I can't remember how long it was, they had to reverse that rule because it is not uh, a law. Uh, and it's really difficult to enforce. But any comments on that, guys? Because I'm starting to hear a lot well, more about what this. What year was that? Just a couple of years ago, four or five years ago. Yeah, was maybe that before six? or after they banned it from restaurants, most restaurants in the well, city? 
I think it was... Before it was banned from bars, but not restaurants. Oh, right. Okay. I mean, mean, just think about it, right? You know, you're trying to sell your apartment. You have 10 other apartments on the floor. You have an open house. And then all of a sudden, someone walks in and it just reeks like smoke. And we've all been there. This is going going on right now with me. There's um, a listing I have right now. It's... There's five apartments per floor, and it's L. Sh- the hallway's L-shaped. Yeah. So we're at one end of the L. The smokers at the other end of the L, mm-hmm. and there are times of the day when the entire hallway really reeks. Yeah. It really does. I think a lot of this. Has it used to, to do- seep through the walls in one of the apartments I live yeah. next door to. I don't know if it's the walls or the ventilation. Or the ventilation, yeah. That's the thing. And I think it depends on how the ventilation is set up, what kind of a building. It may be a building by building thing. And because this was, a pre, this was a pre-war, so I don't know yeah. quite how it was, but you know, I know that, um, and it was 25 Central Park West. I mean, we're talking about a fancy building, you know. And by the way, I'd come home and I would smell this, and I'm thinking, my God, I don't know if it's coming under the door, it's through the walls, but it used to drive me crazy. Anyway, we have to take a break. We are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. We are back with Deborah Hoffman, Niall Lundgren, and Matthew Cohen. And listen, I want to give a shout-out to a family member here, Niall's mom. Karen is celebrating a birthday today. We know that she listens to all of our shows. Yes. Karen, thank you for that. Uh, uh, so happy, happy birthday. birthday. Happy birthday, Mom. Woo. She's listening to every show. She's amazing. She loves you guys. Vince, she's yeah, a huge fan of you. We love you, Everybody Karen. Everybody else. Thanks. She's been partying since midnight. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Have a glass of wine or whatever your libation is on me. Believe me. At 9.30 me, in the morning. <laughs> at 9.30 in the morning. It yes. doesn't matter. All right, listen. We ended the last segment talking about cigarette smoke. And just to clarify that, you know, there is, it, it's not a law. It's only enforceable with, you know, the building's boards and house rules and whatever. And that can still change 
change. People can, you know, fight it and, and you know, uh, overrule it. But here's another one, and I'm struggling with this at the moment. Though marijuana has been uh, decriminalized in New York City and is steadily gaining wider social and legal acceptance throughout the country, hello Colorado, here in our crowded apartment buildings, pot smoke is still a frequent point of contention between New Yorkers and their neighbors. While weed smoke is typically less pungent and clears out faster than cigarette smoke, most of us aren't exactly dying to deal with smoke of any kind. Uh, waving through the hallways, under our doorways, and through the building's shared ventilation system, as uh, Deborah said before. But rather than placing a hysterical call to the authorities or the building's management, we'd suggest a more diplomatic approach. Gift your stoner neighbor with a vaporizer. Uh, All right, so, oh. I love that. Okay, what so, does a vaporizer so he, do to smoke? It, it, it clears the air does faster it? than it. We need one here at Blast Off Productions <laughs> yeah. for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, this music studio is crazy. This is funny. Um, I mean, here's the thing. You're always going to have four, unless you live in the top four, you're always going to have four neighbors. You're going to have someone below you, above you, and to next to you. On both sides. So if I had to rank the worst things neighbors could do to affect me, it's probably not near the top. I would say sound is much more near the top and banging on the walls. Yeah. So yes. I can handle a little pot I've, smoke. I've been in, yeah. I've actually done deals because of the smell. <laughs> you know, when you walk in a building and then your client's like, oh, yeah. These are my people. I feel, I feel like these are my right people. Now. Yeah. You know, like, like, right. I wish this was in my office. Yeah, I like yeah. this. I'm like, all right, you want to, you know, do the deal? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's funny because I'm struggling with that right now. As I said at the top of this story, because I have, I, I always sell in the, I sell a lot rather in this one building in Midtown West. I sold it out as new development, and I'm getting all the resales and rentals. I've been in that building for I don't know six years. I love it. It's good to me, but. Uh, we have several units on several different floors where pot smoking is very, you know, real. And normally, you know, I don't really care. But when I have an open house on Sunday and I'm showing private, you know, people during the week and we step onto these floors you walk off the elevator and you smell this, you know, people, as Niall said, somebody might say, hey, you know, this is, <laughs> this is, this is what I'm looking for. Welcome to my world. But some people might say, oh, my God, and run in the other direction. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, how do you, you know, how do you manage that, especially when you're a real estate agent? trying to open house a, a unit or, or trying to bring somebody to see the unit on a, in a private showing, what do you say to that? I mean, it, it's just so obvious what the, the odor is. I mean, I like the suggestion of a vaporizer, but I also I also try and always make nice with the neighbors of the apartment I'm selling. Yeah, so yeah. I might even, you know, try and get them some pot cookies <laughs> or like pot brownies <laughs> and be like, can we just or tone, pot down, yeah, pot just tone down the, you know, a the, weeks, the smell? You know, let's get it in contract weeks. and then you can do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. But it's all pretty much the same. It doesn't matter what kind of smoke. I tried speaking with the woman who's the big cigarette smoker. On our floor, and she said, "Oh no, it's just in my in my apartment. Nobody smells it. Nobody." And according to the doorman, they say, "Oh God, the whole building hates her because she's yeah. just no. It has nothing to do with the cigarettes. It has to do with everything else she does." Yeah. So sometimes you know it'll work. Sometimes it won't. And well, you know? I, there was one point when you get back to the cigarette smoke situation where I was living temporarily on a in a new new construction building on 56th and 10th, I forgot, the West Port. And I had rented this studio. I was waiting for my current apartment to be available. And I rented this for, I don't know, four or five months. It had an enormous outdoor space. And mm. so Jet, my dog, just loved it. I'd oh, open yeah. the door and she'd go running all over the place. 
it was wintertime, <clears throat> but we still would go out there. But what I found was happening, of course, is people in the building smoking and ditching their the cigarettes butts. out the window and yes. landing Lovely. on my patio. I got hit with one. Jeff oh. got hit with one. Lovely. I closed the door and said, that's the end of the patio. And, of course, try and tell that to a, a dog, Little right, who wants to go outside. Uh, but that's a serious situation. First of it all, is. it's rude to throw cigarettes out a window, you know, and you don't even know where it's going to land. Yeah. And in this particular case, it was landing on my terrace. And I got to tell you something. The terrace was like the size of the studio. It's wow. huge. It was an anomaly, but anyway. That brings up a whole other issue. <clears throat> there needs to be bigger penalties about littering in this city because no, it's in general, do it. even on the street, you get hit by it. There's something about smokers and an attitude. They're still flicking cigarettes. And Somebody they're always flicking the c- cigarettes. Yeah. yeah, we all get hit by them. Yeah. You know, they throw them wherever, and it's, it's a different kind of entitlement. It always has been, but it really makes me nuts. It, it, it does. In fact, somebody just did that to yeah. me. He was walking. He just threw it. He was on my right side, threw it to the curb. It went yeah. right in front of me, and I thought, wow, wasn't that something? I yeah. would have freaked out. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Anyway. I've said things, but then I get threatened. <laughs> well, you, you got to pay attention to who the audience is, it's really. Like your cab rides. Yeah. Oh, uh, oh, God. I had oh, a pl- no. No, hold Story. on. No, I had a pleasant one this morning. <gasps> oh, it, nice. it was, well, I don't even know if it was pleasant, but he come, I get in the cab, and um, he, I, I didn't even have the door closed. He's looked in the mirror. He said, are you an attorney? <laughs> I said, no. And of course, I can't. 7.30 in the morning, I did, do not bother me, okay? So mm-hmm. the phone goes, my head goes on the phone. So then he starts talking to me. He said, so you're not an attorney. What do you do? And I told him I was a real estate agent. He said, oh. And then he went into this long conversation. I pick up this celebrity. I pick up that celebrity. Did you ever sell a celebrity's home and tell me who they are? What, what street does Madonna live on? And where does this one live? I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. First of all, I can't tell you that information because it's just not proper to do. I said in some some cases I don't know where they live. Some in some cases I do. You pick them up, ask them. <laughs> Seriously. He said, I just had Robert De Niro in my cab yesterday. Oh, that's nice. Did you ask him where he lived? <laughs> <laughs> he said he picked him up downtown. But anyway, he just was yeah. he, he was a nice guy compared to some of the other rides I have. But it's like 7.30 in the morning. I'm just trying to think about what I'm going to say on the show today. I'm going to trying to get my thoughts together. And he's going on about the, these celebrity sightings and what about this? And what, what, what made you decide to become a real estate agent? I said, you know what? Listen to my radio show. <laughs> yeah. hey, I'm surprised by your intro. I thought you would have said I'm a, a radio celebrity before real estate I was agent. That's no, right. I really don't go. I don't. I don't really go there. I always put the real estate first, and or then, maybe like radio celebrity hyphen real estate <laughs> yeah, agent. <laughs> anyway, yeah. moving on. So, looking to sign a new lease on New York City uh, apartments. How? Now, rather, is the time to negotiate. As I said at the top of the show, the rental market might be getting a little softer, so there are some concessions. There's a few little negotiating points that maybe we can come up with. Manhattan rental prices have begun to slip as a wave of new luxury rentals enters the market, stoking competition and spurring a flurry of concessions by landlords who are willing to pay the broker fee in some cases or throw in a free month or two to fill their vacancies. What a landlord doesn't ever want to have is too many vacancies in their building. Even if you are not looking to get out of a lease, the shift in the market can mean more leverage if you are about to renew. So how does one go about negotiating today when they find an apartment they like, they know the market is soft, everybody wants something? What, what's, what is the best advice to give a renter today looking for concessions? The best advice is to call one of us because we are trained to negotiate. And we will get you the best deal, whether it's a couple months free or our fee paid or something. Absolutely. Couldn't we are trained. <clears throat> I would right. also suggest to a tenant that if they are renting from a big landlord like a Brodsky or a TF Cornerstone, as Deborah was saying earlier, um, 
find another big landlord and tell your current landlord, well, this one will do it for this. 100%. I, that's a really good point. I have. I did a deal with, uh, with a gentleman in finance last year, put him in the East Village, Seventy-five, uh, no, $6,500 two-bed. Landlord just tried to raise his rent to seventy-five, So $1,000. That's a big hike. $1,000 hike. And, and my guy called me up. He's like, what? Is, is he like, is this legal? I'm like, look, it's a free market it's apartment. Free market, yeah. We're going to negotiate right now. So I ran some, <laughs> some comp stuff that's on the market. I was like, here's four examples of stuff that's in the 65, 66 range. I was like, send him, send him this. And then we basically put together, he's in finance. So we put together like a little cash flow model saying, look, if you have your apartment vacant for one or two months, look at what else is on the market. Um, you're going to lose this much money. And, you know, in the long term, it's not going to work out for you. We did a whole amortization schedule. Long story short, um, he got it for 7000 which is it's not that bad. $500 increase. He's still you know, a little upset about it, but he was able to get something off of it because he showed hard facts and data yeah. and said, look, this is, this is what's going on. The landlord is like, look, I buy buildings. I saw the back and forth between them. Um, long story short, it, it's happening, but you know, you gotta, you gotta prove what you can prove. But now let me ask you a question because you know, a thousand dollar increases is out of control. How, how, how does a landlord or this one in particular try to justify a thousand dollar bump up? My client forwarded me the email. He wrote, um, I run comps all the time. I bond. I buy, I buy buildings. Mm-hmm. This is what it will get, and I know it. Oh, and by the way, and the broker, the broker that represents me said I can get it. The broker said he can get it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm not too sure about that. So I came and I was like, "Hey, here's a couple examples of how you're not going to get it." My, my favorite thing, though, yeah. when those people do their comps is what is on the market and what is rented or sold, yeah. because inventory speaks <laughs> very loudly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one hundred percent. In days on market too. Oh, absolutely. Days on mark. Absolutely. All right. So moving on. The Pepsi-Cola sign in Long Island City, a dazzling swirl of red uh, curly Q letters that evokes innocent days of summer, heavy industry in Queens, and a spectacular disregard for the waterfront in the mid-20th century is now an official New York City landmark. Its prominent sighting and its frequent appearances in pop culture have made it one of the most endearing and recognizable icons on the Queens waterfront. The sign has been under consideration by the Commission for 28 years, it took 28 years to become a landmark, uh, and it, it, they, he just achieved that status last Tuesday. So, wow! Why, you know, why is this particular sign so, you know, coveted? And, and how does one go about picking uh, a sign like the Pepsi Cola sign in Long Island City? I mean, I have to tell you, it, it's it's very prominent. You see it from. Almost all points uh, east. It's it's a beautiful thing. Although people through the years have complained that it was an eyesore, but um, it's now a landmark and it's going to be there forever. I was, you know, why what what determines these things? Uh, I think it's wonderful. I think it's a breath of fresh air to keep something in yeah. New York yeah. City as opposed to you know get rid of it. Um, just you know, not that it's super super historic, but just like you know the bowl downtown, it's nice to keep some things in the city to keep it. Um, you know the New York that we all love historically and not mm-hmm. just the New York of the modern world, which is turning into Hong Kong. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know what? Uh, very it, much so. Yeah. Nostalgia. Yeah, and it's very much recognizable. Yeah. You know, you get people from out of town and they're in Midtown East and they're look, they look over and they're like, Oh wow, that's the, the Pepsi Cola sign. You're like, yeah, 
That is. Yeah, I and remember. Then it's just, it's yeah. cool. I remember you know? from a little kid, you know, riding up and down the uh, the the um, FDR on the east side uh, with my parents and my dad. And, and I, that's one of the things I'd always remember looking for because yeah. I felt like when I finally saw the sign, I was in Manhattan. And, of course, I was in Manhattan a lot before that. But you just realize, you know, you pick your landmarks, whatever. Yeah. But what's interesting yeah. to me, it took 28 years for the landmarks. Uh, Preservation Society to actually put this in place. I don't know what takes so long. With that said, I know when you're dealing with townhouses in Manhattan, up uptown, downtown, and it's mm-hmm. a landmark townhouse and you need to do whatever to that house, it's excruciating. So it's I nightmare. think they need to hire more people or they need to hone their, their processes a little better because what goes on is like insane. You know, they're going to have the same problem with the Pepsi sign. If certain kinds of bulbs are discontinued, mm-hmm. certain kinds of... Um, you know, it's right on the water. What people don't realize yeah. is that river salt water, and salt is very corrosive. Mm-hmm. And if things start to corrode and they don't make those pieces anymore, hey, it's a landmark. We've got to do it exactly. So, you know, it's, I don't know, just pointing that out. <laughs> All right. With that, we're going to take a break. We'll be back in 30 seconds. <laughs> this is Good Morning New York on Voice America. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. Our fourth and last segment of the day. I'm here with Deborah Hoffman, Town Residential, now Lundgren Compass, and Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate. So as I said at the top of the show, Good Morning New York is celebrating 100 episodes today. In 1916, though, the nation's first nonprofit housing cooperative was born in Brooklyn 100 years ago. Finnish immigrants banded together in the Sunset Park section of Brooklyn to address an acute housing shortage. Sixteen families formed the Finnish Home Building Association, chipped in $500 apiece, and got the architect uh, Eric O. Holmgren to draw up plans for a solid four-story brick apartment building. Can you imagine a $500 investment times four? Uh, And so the co-op was born. Why is this still, 100 years later, 
uh, the most available type of housing in New York City. We've 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 added condos. You know, townhouses are around, but the co-op or the cooperative apartment in Manhattan, in Brooklyn, in Queens, in New York City in general, is still out there and by a lot. Why? Because until 1978, <clears throat> uh, condos weren't legal in New York State. That's the easy answer. So all the housing stock that was for sale when a rental building, when a landlord wanted to convert their rentals or you know, make a profit on, on sales, they would have to convert the building to a cooperative until 1978. And as we've talked about many times on the show, there are many differences between the two types of buildings, co-op and condo. But the one that that is the most uh, obvious is that a co-op is a corporation. So you're actually owning, when you buy a co-op apartment, you're buying shares in the building. You're not technically the owner of that apartment. You own shares that are allocated to that unit. And this is something that you know the listenership around the world may not understand because there aren't that many co-ops outside of New York City anyway. So you're buying shares in a building. Uh, which gives you the right to to use the apartment that those shares are assigned to. This leads into something very interesting, which people really have to understand, is when they're getting financing for a co-op, you can't just go on Quicken Loan or any of these really great websites that will finance in the rest of the country. They haven't a clue how to do co-ops. You don't get a normal mortgage True. for a co-op. You have to get a special kind of loan that recognizes that it's shares of a corporation. And anytime someone comes to me with, well, I got this rate on this website, on this, and it's a major one we know about that actually has an okay reputation, Mm -hmm. they have no idea what co-ops are, no matter how much they tell you they do. And 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 with, re- yeah. and with regards to what Deb said about 1978, to link it back to the historic thing, it's also part of that because you, if you think about it, there are many different huge, very expensive avenues that are almost all co-ops. Think about Central Park West, you know, Fifth Avenue, Fifth Avenue. Park Avenue, West Beekman, West. Sutton. You know, these are almost all co-ops. So that's another huge reason why there's a lot more of them. That's right. And things seem to be changing there, as we talked about a couple of months ago on the program, where investors, in some cases, in some buildings, I think one was on Park Avenue, are being allowed in. And I think the reason the for that— Netherland. Yes. And well, uh, yes, I think so. Yeah. But but in a couple of others as well. And I think the reason for that is, is because these people have the money to bump up the prices to 70 million, 80 million. And when co-ops hear these numbers, they're like, OK, so we have to flex our rules a little bit because the normal person who runs around New York City wealthy can't afford to pay those kinds of dollars anyway so that's going to be it's going to be interesting to see over the next year or two or three where that particular market space uh, ends up going a lot can happen in less than two months back in february a 62-story residential tower at three manhattan west or 401 west 31st street was halfway to its final height on friday it topped out friday last week the 844 unit building is an 80 20 project which means Mm. 20% 20% of the units will be for, uh, allocated for affordable housing. Residents are expected to move into the uh, Brookfield-developed uh, SLCE Architects Design Building in early 17 with completion by that fall. 675 units will be for sale and 168 for rent. Success rate in sales of this building in this location. I mean, first of all, 844 units? Really? That's a huge building. Huge. Mm-hmm. Massive. Huge. I mean, how's that going to go? Is it is it going to fly or is it going to just kind of drag along? I mean, I, I can't imagine that um, 
I'm very intrigued to see the pricing. Yeah, well, yeah, I, know that's what the pricing. I tried to find the pricing and I couldn't find it. But, I wonder, but I wonder too. But I can't imagine it's gotta be in that area. It might not have been accepted yet. Two thousand or Plan. sub two thousand foot. Please sub. They said that if it, it's it, more than that, if it's more than two thousand, it might be there for a while because of the location. I can't even imagine. Yes. Although Hudson Yards, I mean that that's right. We we know that's going to be at least two thousand a foot. Oh, yeah. I'm sure or more. It's a lot of and inventory. It's that's co- yeah, it's I think I think it's I, I think that building has to be targeted towards investors. Um, I hate to say that, but mm-hmm. you know, how many people, as of right now, especially families, are going to buy in that building right near Penn Station, right behind the post office building? Yeah. I just wonder what the demand is. But I think the demand is really high for investors because if you think about the Hudson Yards area opening in the future, I think it'll do wonders for that neighborhood. I, I totally it's agree with the rentals. opening of that for yeah. sure. But 844 units, I, I, I get maybe claustrophobic with that thought. Yeah. Anyway, the northern northernmost point in Manhattan, Inwood, is a relatively affordable place to live that's uh, gilded with lots of green space, most notably uh, Inwood Hill Park and Isham Park. Did I say that right? Isham Park? Mm-hmm. But even though a growing number of small cafes and restaurants have popped up west of Broadway, shops are sparse in the largely residential area. Instead, you'll find low-rise, older co-op buildings, as we talked about a minute ago, dating back to the 50s with a combination of older residents and Columbia students and professors who head north for the lower rent or the more affordable sale price. What's life like up in northern Manhattan? You know, we have all kinds of neighborhoods in this town. You know, not too many people are familiar with Inwood, Washington Heights, northern Manhattan, whatever. What's life like up there? Well, just like Karen, Niall's mom's birthday, I have to give a shout out to my mom on this one who always listens as well because she is actually born and raised in Washington Heights. Uh-huh. Um, and she is the moms constant- are taking over today. Oh, yeah, she's constantly <laughs> talking to me about it. And um, she actually went to junior high school in Inwood. Wow. And she would always talk about how great of an area it is up there. It's like a hidden gem. Um, and it's a little further down, but the cloisters are Beautiful. great up there. Um, and the A... The A-line subway is super fast Mm -hmm. to get into the city. So I think that it's kind of like an unfound area that people are not really focused on yet. 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 Yes and no. Actually, a friend of mine who's a broker who was at Corcoran, who's now at Elliman, lives up there and has lived there for a long time. The A actually stops at 168th Street. It doesn't go all the way up to Inwood. But the, the one does. And the one goes all the way to Riverdale as well, Kingsbridge, Riverdale. Kingsbridge, yeah. Um, I lived in Riverdale for four years a little while ago, and I took the express bus in all the time, which went right through Inwood. And I love to see there's street life. It's a safe neighborhood. People just don't think about it because they say, oh, it's not in Manhattan. No, it is in Manhattan. It is in Manhattan. You it's the northernmost point it. of Manhattan, yes. but it is Manhattan. Yeah, and speaking of Washington Heights— um, Vince and I remember the 70s and 80s mm-hmm. when it was very scary in the city. Mm-hmm. And the thing about Washington Heights is if you were west of Broadway, that area never went bad. Right. You have a lot of professors there, a lot of musicians, right. as you said, <clears throat> and it continues. And the pr- they're getting good prices there. Well, it, it's the same for Hamilton Heights. I, I think I told the story on the, on the radio a couple of months ago. Was showing uh, townhouses in Hamilton yes. Heights west of Broadway. You know, so in the one forties and the one fifties, anything west of Broadway is really kind of much better than than east of Broadway. Although the, all of that is, is is gentrifying and turning around. But uh, the simple fact of the matter is, you're right. Um, that whole neighborhood has always been pretty decent. 
Uh, but it seems to be getting better. And northern Manhattan, I'm, ha- I'm now having people say to me, so maybe, you know, I'm priced out of Manhattan proper, as I call it. So maybe it's okay to look in some of the northern neighborhoods. And maybe Washington Heights or maybe Inwood is okay. Listen, you know, that the other famous townhouse story is I just sold a house in Riverdale, because a house house in Riverdale, because we were priced out of uh, townhomes in the Hamilton Heights area, in the Washington Heights area. Mm-hmm. So for about the same amount of money, they got a much bigger house and, I mean, property, and it's unbelievable. So I love Riverdale. It's, it's, well, I mean, I like it too. <laughs> I love it. I, th- I, I also, I, it's very my, favorite, my favorite thing was one of my clients who was only looking downtown, she was one of those people that wouldn't go above 34th Street, mm-hmm. and one day she said to me, we're at lunch, she goes, have you ever heard of Castle Village? Yes. Oh, yeah. love and, Castle and, Village. and I said, of course. I, I love it up there. My mom is from there. And, and she goes, I would love to buy an apartment in that complex. And there's never turnover in those buildings. Right I, I, looked, I looked I just, up and I was I like, I just like, lost a classic six oh, to no. someone who overpriced it by two hundred thousand. I wish she was still looking. All right, guys, <laughs> it's, we, still, it's still in the we, market. We have to go. Unfortunately, that is Good Morning New York for this week. Thanks for joining us. As usual, you can catch the show anytime on podcast or on our website, VoiceAmerica.com, or at VinceRocco.com. For all of us at Voice America, all around the world, thanks for joining us, and see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.